this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I've been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I can... I can confidently say that this has been the longest kind of tenure that I've had in any particular passage of scripture in terms of like a sermon series. Um, I haven't kept track. We should count it up, but it's been a number of weeks, a number of months now, and we're, we're kind of growing towards the end, and it's, uh, I'm excited to say that we've done it, but I'm really going to miss just this teaching of Jesus. It's, it's beautiful for me because it's so simple, the things that Jesus uh, says here in his sermon. I say simple, not that they're easy, but they make sense. And then equally, they're, uh, I just feel like they're simultaneously uh, just simple and challenging at the same time. Um, and it really provokes me. It provokes my spirit to love Jesus better and embody him more. And so at the core of Jesus's teaching, we've kind of followed this theme that Adam highlighted a couple weeks ago when he taught of how Jesus is reasserting this notion that we must love God well and love others well. And that's the way of the kingdom, right? We've talked about We've talked about looking at Jesus as this countercultural figure, looking at his sermon as this manifesto of living differently in the midst of a culture that's hostile towards Jesus and towards the way of Jesus. And we talked about being agents of change. We, we talked about actually uh, being catalysts and conduits for the glory of God to change our culture by being involved in it. And uh, just uh, we've looked at all of that kind of wrapped up in the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe the primary way that we bring about the kingdom, the primary way that we represent Jesus well, and we see this cultural transformation that we've talked about, is uh, really the central theme of the sermon is that we would love God well and in turn love others well. The way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, is a way of love. And uh, that's, uh, that can sound tutti-frutti, that can sound like, ooh, simple, um, but it's, it, it's, it's simple in the sense that, yeah, that's what it is, but it's not exactly easy. How many of you guys know that, right? Uh, a lot of the things that Jesus said are simple. They make sense. They're not like just ridiculously hard to understand, but they are uh, sometimes very hard to live out and flesh out practically. And so today we're going to jump to one verse, um, and that's going to be verse uh, 12 of Matthew chapter 7, if you guys want to turn with me there. And most people, regardless of their religious upbringing, their background, whether they're atheist, agnostic, uh, you know, Buddhist, or Christian, uh, just being in our society, they're familiar with this passage of scripture. They're familiar with what we would refer to this morning as the golden rule. Um, it's something that we teach our kids in preschool, right? <laughs> it's some pretty good life advice. I, I know with Finn, uh, we've been trying to implement, like, you have to be nice to other people. Like, if you want good friends, like, you need to be nice to your friends if you want them to be nice to you. It's just like basic reciprocal, like, living. 
And uh, we're familiar with it. We wrap it up and we call it this thing called the, the golden rule. But I want to be very clear this morning, and I want you to hear my words. Uh, what, uh, what I want to make sure doesn't happen is that we boil down the words of Jesus, the very Son of God, to just good moral philosophy. Because it's easy for us to do that, especially a passage of scripture that's familiar like this, something that maybe we've learned since we were like little kids and has just always maybe been a part of good American culture even. Um, I don't want us to just kind of be like, oh, that's good life advice. You know, that's just solid. Yeah, that's everybody should do that and kind of have it be a blanket thing. Because these principles are good. They're somewhat universal even, and we'll see this in a moment because we're going to look at Confucius. We're going to look at Buddha. We're going to look at some of the other world religions this morning, and it's going to be interesting. But Jesus isn't the same as Confucius. He's not the same as Buddha. And I don't want, to take, I don't want us to take today's passage, today's reading, and just file it away as good advice because I believe that that could be something that would be detrimental and damaging uh, to the words of God. In fact, uh, we look at Matthew 7, 12, and you could throw it up on the screen there, Mia. Um, it says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this is a very uh, intriguing passage of scripture, right? We know, like we wrap it up sometimes, like do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, these kind of things. Uh, we're reading this. This isn't just good advice, friends. You need to understand this. This isn't just like, oh, that's a good saying. That's something good that we teach our kids. This is a command from the Son of God. This is, this is a decree from Jesus himself telling his followers, this is how you need to live if you're going to represent me well. It's not just good advice. It's not just a, a suggestion that you would kind of try to live by. But I believe this is a requirement for people of God. And as I kind of frame that into a requirement for how I live my life, I, and I start to look at my interactions and my dealings with people on an everyday scale of how I respond to people at a restaurant or uh, driving down the road with people with out-of-state license plates. All of this seriously winds up, and if I frame it back, do I treat others? Do I do unto others the same way that I would like to be done unto me? And I start asking myself that serious question, I realize I fail pretty miserably in this context. That's just me being honest. I hope not all of you fail as much as I do here, but if we're taking a good hard look at how we live our lives, we do not treat people, other people, the same way that we want to be treated. And like, let's just be real. Let's just be honest, right? I love when people, uh, you know, when I was younger and I didn't have a lot of money. I remember one time in particular, uh, I was checking out just a handful of things at a grocery store and this nice gentleman in front of me decided that he was just going to pay for my groceries completely unprompted. And I remember thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. And I love that now. I want to live my life generously. Um, but how many of us honestly, like how many of you guys would love if somebody just picked up your grocery tab next time you went to Walmart? <laughs> Woo, you would like that. Well, if you would like that, maybe we ought to do it to somebody else right? If, if we're just going to take Jesus's words at face value here. It's pretty interesting as we start to break it down. 
But really, the first word here says, therefore, right? Um, so that actually means like in response to, or so be it. So we have to look back on what Jesus just talked about in the earlier parts of the Sermon on the Mount, if this is actually in response to all this. If you remember last week, we talked about asking, seeking, knocking. We looked at Jesus as a good father who promised to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, right? That was the immediate context. But most scholars, and I tend to agree with this kind of uh, reading of uh, this passage here, um, would actually uh, think that Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount here. This is kind of, uh, it was a, he was actually going back and looking at everything that he taught on and kind of bringing it to a close in conclusion here. Um, so this is everything that Jesus had taught previously from Matthew chapter 5 uh, through Matthew 6 here to 7. Uh, Jesus kind of uses this as a statement, as a transition that we'll lead into next week of uh, wrapping up everything that he's been teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. So everything from what he taught on the law and the interpretation of the law to holiness, to loving your enemy, to mercy, to prayer, to meekness, all of these things, uh, to judging others, bringing it back again, uh, he emphasizes this central theme of his sermon that we've talked about this morning of loving God well, but also loving others well and pointing that picture back. I love what um, Michael Eaton says about the golden rule. I found this quote just while I was studying this week, and it says, it is a one-sentence rule of thumb that will give us what to do in a thousand complicated situations. And I felt like that was just like so concise and so good because really if you're wondering how you should respond to a situation or respond to an individual, respond to um, maybe some kind of... Um, uh, disagreement or conflict, I feel like the, the golden rule here of responding how you would like to be responded to is uh, just pretty good advice, right? <laughs> I know I said, let's not chalk it up to good advice, but it can be good advice and also supernatural advice at the same time. Amen? Um, I got to be honest, uh, when we teach our kids about the golden rule, right, we paraphrase it into something like, we want to treat others like you want to be treated. I've already said that once. It's not like, that's not wrong interpretation. I just don't think it's completely full, right? We talk about don't be mean to others because you don't want them to be mean to you, right? That's kind of how we, we treat it. In fact, my son, uh, some of you guys probably saw him running around like crazy this morning here uh, with his friends. Uh, he's learning how to share. Like, it's kind of new. Um, he, he has a brother now and all these things that didn't, uh, like, uh, produce conflict before of just playing now seems to. And he'll recognize that maybe somebody else has a toy that he wants to play with. And he does what any toddler would do and just go up and he'll grab it and say, I'm going to play with this now. And then obviously this fight ensues, right? But I remember a number of months ago, my son was playing and he took a toy from his little brother, Simeon, um, who has just started playing with toys. And his little brother got upset about that. And it was just very rude. And so I went up to Finn as he was playing with it. And I took that toy away from him and walked away. And he was like, what the heck, Dad? Like, what gives? And he was very upset with the fact that I took his toy while he was playing with it. 
And I tried to, I tried to communicate this thought of, now, did you like it when I took that toy away from you? And he's like, no. I was like, well, uh, you just did it to your brother, so we need to, I try to teach him the golden rule here. It's like, you got to be nice to other people in the same way that you want me to be nice to you. Right, trying to trying to con- connect this thought with a three-year-old at the time, and uh, it's a uh, it's a little hard. Um, cool. Uh, but if we boil it down to that simple concept, which is simple, everybody tracks with that. Good advice, like be nice to people. Yes. Okay, I realize I realize this sounds crazy. Uh, looking at our culture today, looking at the divisiveness in our nation, looking at how broken so many different people are and how wrong so many different things, uh, things are currently, uh, even if we stopped there, and, I, and Jesus was, all he was saying was just, like, be nice to one another, don't be mean to each other, uh, that would go a long way for our current culture. And I don't want to, I realize that's simple, but for real, uh, just because like somebody, it doesn't say like, just be nice to people that have the same political affiliation as you, right? That's not what Jesus was talking about. Um, <laughs> there is an aspect uh, to this that is very much simple, but just needs to be implemented for one. Um, but I think if we're boiling it down to that, we're missing out on a large aspect of what Jesus is actually saying. It's not just don't be mean to somebody because you don't want them to be mean to you. Um, And I say his version of the golden rule here um, because it's not entirely unique to Christianity. You know, this principle of the golden rule. Um, It's not, uh, you know, there were variations of this saying in Matthew 7 circulating uh, circulating, uh, long before Jesus ever gave like a public manifesto on the mount there where he was teaching his sermon. Um, many years earlier, we have things that predate Jesus' sermon on the mount. Confucius actually said uh, before Jesus was born, um, he says this, uh, and I think this is called Analects 1523. I don't make a common practice of using uh, other uh, religious texts to uh, show my point, but uh, track with me here. It says, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. It's, uh, it's strikingly familiar. That's what Confucius said. He said that before Jesus did here in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Hinduism says this. Uh, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Mahabharata. I might have said that wrong. I, I probably said that wrong. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1,517, so stop complaining about reading your Bible because it's too long. There's no chapter, there's no book in the Bible that has 1,517 verses. I don't really know how that's broken down in, uh, in Hinduism or what their actual text is, so I'm not going to pretend to be smart. I just know that those, those two that I read are strikingly familiar to the words of Jesus. Um, and then if you want, if you want Buddha... Uh, Buddhism here in the Udhavan, that word, (laughs) uh, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. I'm not going to disagree with all of this. I think it's, uh, yeah, don't do that. 
Don't be mean. But if we're looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew uh, 7, and we kind of just throw them in the pool with this, it would be easy to just say, oh, yeah, all these religions are saying the exact same thing. And we would downplay the words of our God. We would downplay the words of Jesus Christ and try to throw them on, a, on the same playing field. There's a subtle difference here, and you guys have probably caught on to it, but it's an important one to note because Jesus actually is saying something far more profound than all of these other religious leaders, all these other religious texts, I should say. And it says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. It's a subtle, but it's a very important difference. The other religions all say do not. They have this negative, uh, passive context to them. And where they say do not, Jesus says do. It may not seem like a big deal. It might just seem like semantics, but that's not what it is at all. Other variations of this saying they state a negative connotation and rely on passivity. Don't do something bad to your neighbor because you don't want them to do something bad to you. Don't be mean to somebody because you don't want them to be mean to you. Don't uh, hurt somebody because you don't want them to hurt you. But Jesus commands us to be proactive in loving others. I wrote this down this morning just in my journal. It says, loving your neighbor or your enemy even, as Jesus would uh, take it to another level, is more than not hating them. I need you to track with me that. Loving somebody is not equated to not hating them, right? Like, I, uh, I don't like avocados. I hate avocados. I've never liked avocados. I realize I'm in the minority here. Everybody's going to boo me and start throwing stuff at me and heckle me and get me off. I don't like avocados. Is there anybody here that just doesn't like avocados? Wow, okay, I am, I am the minority. Jesus says, uh, narrow is the, oh, wow. Um, I should have picked something different, something like universally like more hated, like escargot or something like that. I've never eaten a snail. I might like it. Um, but, uh, like, my wife loves avocados, right? You're, you could eat avocados until you were green. And... Uh, the reality is, is that she really loves them and she's real passionate about them. But it's not, it's not the same as me just not hating an avocado. Uh, that doesn't equal love. Like I, I, sh I said I hate avocados. I don't hate them. I just don't like them. I wouldn't eat them. But me just kind of like being indifferent about an avocado is not the same as loving an avocado. In the same way, you being indifferent about a neighbor or you just not hating them is not the same as loving them. Is what I'm trying to get at. I could have fleshed that out a lot clearer, better analogy than avocados. Um, <laughs> but I do believe to love your neighbor well is for you to be proactive about their well-being. It's not just that you don't dislike them. It's not just that you don't hate them. It's not that Jesus called you just to permit permit their nonsense. Jesus actually calls us and the way of the gospel and the way of the cross actually calls us to deny ourselves, to lay uh, our wants and our desires down, to love others and be proactive about their well-being. And so um, 
I think that's very important to note. I think that's very important to kind of recognize here is that it's not just about not doing something to somebody, but it's about be, being proactive in doing something for them. It's, uh, if you look at, uh, there, Jesus has a lot of, a lot of the times we think about sin and we think about sin that we commit, right? Uh, we think about like, oh, the lie that we told or the person that we killed or, uh, you know, whatever. We think about these things that are bad that we did, but equally and often what we neglect is the good things that God calls us to do that we neglect as well like looking after the widow and the orphan or looking, looking out to, and being proactive and loving our neighbor well in, doing, uh, in being proactive and loving them. There's a call not just to sin against them, but also to bless them and love them in action. And so I say that uh, those other religions, you know, we looked at Hinduism, Buddhism, and Confucius, you know, we looked at these these different uh, these different uh, world religions that had a very similar uh, saying, very similar ideology. But there is a distinction here because Jesus, I think, is taking something that was uh, a somewhat common thought, a common saying of the day, and elevating it and bringing it back full circle to what the Word of God said back in Leviticus nineteen eighteen. And so while Yes, maybe the words of Confucius preceded the words of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 7 when he publicly stated this. Jesus is drawing all the way back from the Old Testament, from Levitical law, Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 19. Um, and uh, so really, and we know he's the word. Uh, he was there at the beginning, so we're not trying to get weird with that. But uh, just trying to give you some perspective because the words of Leviticus were written over a thousand years before Confucius was ever even born. So Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's this common theme that is recurrent throughout Scripture of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, and stands in pretty stark contrast to kind of the cultural mantra of the day of self-love, right? Um, <laughs> like, you need to treat yourself. You need to love yourself. And, and these things that aren't necessarily 100% uh, wrong in this fact, like, yeah, be, you know, take care of yourself for those things. But it's this kind of um, self-exaltation. And Jesus flips it on the inverse here. The Word of God flips it on its inverse and the command to love your neighbor as you would love yourself becomes paramount. It pushes us, um, it pushes us out of this kind of idea of just not being mean to other, but being proactive in loving others well and, and living our lives in extravagant generosity of, of living our lives to be a, an intentional blessing for other people because we enjoy it. When people bless us, we enjoy it when people are, are, are generous to us. We enjoy it when people tell us the truth and they're genuine with us. We enjoy it when people are merciful and give us what we don't deserve, right? <laughs> and in the turn, Jesus says that we should love neighbors and we should love, even if we go back uh, in our, uh, 
in the Sermon on the Mount earlier, not just our neighbors, but even loving our enemies in such a way that would deny ourself. And uh, it's not just Jesus that reiterates this, but Paul comes back to this again and again in his theology in Romans 13.8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false, bear false witness, you shall not covet. Um, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Track with me here, friends. If we all treated other people proactively the way that we would like to receive, it would be this kind of paradoxical, like reciprocal, like never-ending circle of goodness where we would end war. <laughs> people would not be mean to each other just as a byproduct, and we would have world peace. I've, I have world peace figured out for you here. Jesus figured it out long ago. And it's that you would do unto others as you would want them to do unto yourself. Doesn't work. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't work uh, because Confucius, Buddha, all these guys, I believe were missing a key element to actually seeing this uh, happen. Because how many of you guys know we're selfish? We like our stuff, we like how we feel, and regardless of how humble you might pretend to be this morning, more often than not, the majority of people that I have met are primarily looking out for themselves before anybody else. I like to think, uh, I like to think that I was a pretty good guy, and I was pretty unselfish, and then I got married and realized, wow, I, I'm just terrible. <laughs> I am far more selfish than I thought I was. And then, you know, it moves past that. And then, you know, I thought, okay, the Lord's working on me, uh, getting my desires out of the way, implementing his desires. I'm figuring out how to serve my wife better. And I'm on this track of like making progress. And then we have kids. And it's like, man, I like my time. I like my peace and quiet. I like my sanity. I like the backseat of my car being clean. All of these things that realize uh, it's a dying to self. And if we're going to fulfill this golden rule, if we're going to see the words of Jesus actually fleshed out in our lives, there's a lot of aspects of my life that are going to fade away. There's a lot of wants and desires and selfishness that need to come into check. And I need the Holy Spirit's help on that. Galatians 5.13, we'll read this too. Um, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Man, we could talk about that a long time. That's a different sermon for a different day. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we've got Paul, we've got Jesus, we have all the way back in Leviticus, the, the kind of the, the way that we see the law of God fleshed out is, and the fruit, of, the fruit of seeing, if we believe that we're following Jesus, the fruit of following Jesus is going to be, do we love other people well? 
I mean, 1 John 4.20 would tell us that we can't claim to love God and hate our brother. Right? He actually says that we don't love God. <laughs> and so the reality here is that how we love other people. Not, notice here, even here, you know, you could make an argument about 1 John 4.20 being like, I love your brother. It's only talking about Christians, whatnot. This is not. All of the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is talking about your neighbor, talking about those around you in culture. He even goes and talks about loving your enemy. How we love others is in direct reflection to where we are with God. But the, the paradox there, the, the, the thing is, we can't love other people well without him first. I believe that the only way that we see the golden rule fulfilled is through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. When we die to self and God's passions take priority over our selfish motivations. I don't think it's without cause that Jesus kind of wraps up and he starts his conclusion here on the Sermon on the Mount immediately proceeding the fact that he said, how much more will our, will our Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Talking about God as a good father. I think there is a deep necessity for us to have the Holy Spirit in a dramatic way if we're going to flesh out this golden rule of loving our neighbor as ourself, of treating others the way that we want to be treated, of doing and being proactive in loving them in a way that we would like to receive. That doesn't happen just because we want to be better people. That doesn't happen just because we white knuckle it. We're going to try really hard to be good people and have good moral philosophy. It happens when God touches our hearts and transforms the way that we look at things and the way that we embrace people. It's a necessity if we're going to represent Jesus well. And so my first response would be, friends, we have to ask God for more help. We have to ask the Holy Spirit for his touch if we're going to do this right, if we're going to love people well. I, I got to be honest with you, I was preparing and I, I, at first I was far more excited to read and teach on some of these upcoming passages uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm still really excited for them, but we're going to talk about like the narrow gate and the path of destruction, the highway to hell. We'll listen to ACDC just a joke, but uh, like looking, looking at some of these intense passages of scripture that are coming up where Jesus tells people, depart from me, I never knew you. Those kind of passages are really easy for me to look up and get fired up and be like, I can preach that. And I know the conviction of the Holy Spirit can come and the Holy Spirit can do mighty, miraculous, marvelous things. And we could have a great turning and a moving towards God. And I'm looking at these, preparing, kind of plotting out how we're going to plot, how we're going to like preach the rest of this Sermon on the Mount. And I got stuck on this one little verse and it was like the golden rule. That's great, Jesus, but that's like what we teach kids in preschool and like Sunday school. Maybe Kelsey wants to teach this downstairs and I'll move on to the big boy stuff, right? Like, I know that's wrong. You guys understand that that's wrong, but that's, that's where, I, like, mentally I was as I was preparing for this passage of Scripture, while I was preparing for this, and I realized just how messed up I am, <laughs> how backwards I am, because the Lord convicted me and said, if we can't get this, everything else, when he talks about not knowing us, when he talks about the narrow gate, this is all kind of the segue into that. 
And so many of us get hung up where we feel like, you know, that's elementary, that's basic. We've graduated beyond that. Give us the deeper revelatory nuggets and we're past this. But it's very easy if you get on social media, if you, uh, if you run into somebody that has a differing opinion of you at the grocery store based on politics or uh, vaccines or healthcare or whatever, where they're wearing a mask, they're not wearing a mask. We look at all the craziness in life and there is very, very little of the golden rule being practiced by Christians, by those that claim Yahweh <laughs> in everyday life. And if we, if we can't tackle that, man, how can we move on to the bigger stuff? And so my prayer, and I shared this this morning while we were in pre-service prayer, was that God would come and destroy the idolatrous aspects of selfishness in our life. I was reading 1 Samuel chapter 5. There's a particular story in there where uh, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant representative of the very presence of God, right? They take it into their kind of, uh, they take it into the temple of their God, Dagon. And Dagon's like this half fish, half man looking dude, the father of Baal, the, the chief God of the Philistines. And he falls over before the, before the ark of the Lord, completely broken and crumbled. And it's this picture of him being powerless before the presence of God. And the Philistines freak out and they find, wind up giving the ark back. And it's bad news for them. But my prayer was, just in, in relation to what we've been reading in the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been talking about, is that we would, one, see Jesus and the necessity for us to have his Holy Spirit. To ask the Father, where we look at how much more would the, would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit that we might actually flesh out this golden rule, not in our own strength, but through the lens of heaven, but in doing so, with the Holy Spirit present, that the idols of selfishness, the, the things that would take our attention off of Jesus, would fall and crumble. That we might walk this out and flesh it out in practicality. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, Visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.